in the game of basketball, stars are made. But how do they get to that point? How has the game changed them? And what are they doing today? Welcome to Rebound Radio with your host, Matt Fish of Rebound Magazine. Each week, Matt goes one-on-one with some of the legends of basketball, finds out their inside story, and uncovers stories you've got to hear to believe. Now, here's Matt Fish and Alex Clancy. Welcome, everybody. Alex Clancy, Matt Fish in studio. It is Rebound Radio, Thursday afternoon per usual, 3 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Luckily, we are inside now and not outside because it looks like we're going to need Noah's Ark to get out of <laughs> whatever's coming down from the sky right now. 888-346-9144. Follow Matt on Twitter at Rebound Talk. Follow me at Clancy's Corner. Check out voiceamerica.tv. Uh, click on the Rebound logo in the middle of the homepage and check out all the video uh, content that we have interviewing former players. And the CEO of this company, uh, Voice America, was over at uh, Jerry Colangelo's event at the Wigwam uh, about six weeks ago, interviewing other former players, and uh, some great content on there. On the docket today, we believe we will have former NBA player Brian Grant. Uh, Xavier Product uh, drafted eighth overall in the 95 draft, I believe, 94 draft. Uh, played with the Kings, um, the, uh, the Trailblazers, mm-hmm. the Heat, most notably known for uh, the blockbuster trade that sent Shaq to Miami and then Lamar Odom, Cron Butler, and himself to the Lakers. Brian Grant Foundation, uh, the Grant Army, we're going to talk to him about that a lot. We'll talk to him about his, um, his new endeavor in regards uh, to the health field and um, kind of about a little bit of his backstory, so we're waiting for him to call in. Yep. Um, in the meantime, Matthew Edward Fish is here with me. Um, for those of you who don't know, Matt played over 10 years uh, Matt played over 10 years uh, in the NBA and overseas, won a championship in the CBA. Uh, he's just a big 6'11 love ball, yeah. if I can say that. So, And he's done a lot of great stuff with the NBRPA. He's the Phoenix chapter president of the National Basketball Retired Players Association, works with many charities in Phoenix and across the country. And um, he's got a lot to offer, and uh, I'm going to swing it to Matt. We do have Brian on the line. We're going to get to him in just a second. But as we do every week, Matt, give me a quick rundown of what we got coming up with the MBRPA. Well, the MBRPA is doing, of course, the, the wonderful things that they always do in the community. Uh, the near future, we're working on getting that uh, heart screening going on here for the uh, former NBA players and WNBA players. And that looks like it's going to happen within the next five or six weeks. I know it's in New York right now. We're looking forward to bringing it here because we can get our tickers checked and make sure that we're all as healthy as we think we are and hope we are. So that's that's one big thing that I'm excited about. We have a president's retreat also coming up in a couple weeks where I'm going up to Vegas. All the chapter presidents across the United States get together, share best practices, figure out ways to advance the chapter, figure out ways to advance uh, members of the MBRPA, how we can help in our communities, how we can share our, our ideas and even each other. You know, hey, could you come over and help me with this event type thing. So we're looking forward to getting all the guys together up in Vegas and another reason to go to Vegas. So. I mean, the only retreats I go to are where we sing Kumbaya in the Woods with a bunch of, you know, 17-year-olds when I was 17. That's a little different. I like your rendition better. <laughs> um, not um, to waste another moment, we do have former NBA player Brian Grant on the line. Played 12 years in the NBA for uh, four teams. Went to Xavier, uh, eighth pick overall in the 1994 draft to Sacramento. Um, I remember watching him play in college and uh, watched across his career. And what we're going to focus on more, we'll touch on his NBA career a little bit. Um, but, Brian, welcome. And uh, I want you to tell me right off the bat, what does Grant's Army mean to you? 
Grant's arm. Uh, it means a couple of things. Um, first thing it means is uh, that was my fan club a long time ago when I played, so it mm-hmm. was uh, my way of connecting with you know fans all across the country. But uh, now Grant's Army is um, a part of the Brian Grant Foundation, a part uh, to grassroots efforts to you know raise money for the Brian Grant Foundation. Yeah, Brian, you you uh, you've done so many wonderful things throughout your career in the communities, and 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 I just appreciate all your your givebacks. Um, uh, first and foremost, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, we're excited to have you here, and excited to share a little bit about your foundation, and um, just you know catch up and, and and find out a little bit about your career and you know life before your career, and and just have a chat. That's what we do here at Rebound Radio. So uh, excited to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate the opportunity you guys are giving me today. Okay, so we'll jump back to uh, the Brian Grant Foundation, BrianGrant.org. Uh, you can check out um, the About section, the media section. There's events coming up. We'll talk about that in the later part of the interview. But growing up, um, did you like playing basketball right away, or do, did you have other aspirations when you were uh, you know, a preteen and teenager? That's, that's a really funny question because I, I didn't. I didn't like basketball. I was taller than all my cousins, but I couldn't tell you who Syracuse, Kentucky, you know, uh, all these college teams that I, I grew up around like seven or eight cousins around the same age, and they were into uh, college teams in the NBA, but I, I was into movies. I liked sitting at home, eating cereal. You know, HBO had just come out, so we had HBO. I started renting movies, but uh, it wasn't until later that I got into basketball. Probably my eighth grade year, I, I went out. Barely made the team, couldn't make a layup. And then my ninth grade year, I, I played freshman ball and then started to begin to like it. Uh, how tall were you then? Well, that's the thing. When I, was my, when I started my freshman year, I was like 5'9 and a half. And by the end of it, I was like 5'10 and a half. But by the time I came back over the summer from my freshman year to my sophomore year, I was almost 6'4". <laughs> I grew over a summer. You could literally look at me and be like, did you just grow some more? I mean, it was crazy. I had, I was in so much pain. I had Osgood slaughters. That's when yep. you outgrow your tendons and they start to rip away and you get those bumps under your knees. Mm-hmm. Well, I had that on my knees, elbows. Uh, I was not able to play basketball my 10th grade year because that lasted for a good year. Wow. Wow. And that's painful. I, I know I haven't necessarily had it myself, but known others that did. And I went through that same type of growth. You know, I did six inches in one summer and man, it's not easy. I mean, I, I had it. I'm, I'm five, nine now. I had it when I grew three inches over one summer. So I couldn't imagine growing almost a foot or, you know, three quarters of a foot. And so you had to sit out a whole year because of, because of the pains right under your kneecaps. Yeah, yeah, you get those little bumps under your knee, yeah. and they're so tender. If you just graze it, it's just you're you're falling down in pain. And and you know, I always joke when I go and I get speeches for uh, Parkinson's that uh, it was funny because you know when I was in the ninth grade, going into the tenth grade, my mom would have to put our clothes on layaway. <laughs> so over the summer they'd be on layaway. So imagine when she went back to get <laughs> my clothes for the school year, and you can't switch out. You got to take what you put in the layaway. So I was the first one to have the high waters like mid calf. <laughs> yeah, so I had to I had to borrow long t-shirts just so I could droop my pants down just to make them you know barely touch the top of my shoes. It was crazy. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. If she could have predicted that, she should have hit the stock market too. I don't know if that's even possible to predict. That's crazy. Okay, so. 
midway through high school you start liking to play basketball or do you just find that you're good at it? Well, I, I was just tall, and, you know, I, I loved football. I liked, I liked playing football. I played Pop Warner football for a few years as a kid, but then we didn't have a football team, so I had to turn to basketball and began to like it a little bit. But, you know, I grew up in a little small town in the 80s, and, you know, things weren't always easy for a young African-American male back there yeah. in southern Ohio. So I got in trouble my junior year, got in a fight with one of my teammates, got kicked off the team, you know, started hanging out all night, Coming in on weeknights at 3 in the morning, my mom kind of sat me down and said, you know, I guess I need to prepare for you to be living in that room the rest of your life. And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, because you're not going to be anything. Mm-hmm. And I was just, when I heard that, it was like, okay, let's go. Let's, let's get it going. So we got a new coach my senior year of high school, and he kind of basically heard from the town, don't, don't mess with him. This kid's a troublemaker. He, you know, he's only going to cause you grief. Came up to me and said, "This is a fresh start. We start from here. Whatever you show me now is what I what I take from you." And you know, I was lucky, man. He uh, allowed me to go out there and play, and we ended up having one of our best years in school history. I mean, when I say it was like the Hoosiers, it was like the Hoosiers. Wow. The small town when we had to go on the road. There's the bus, and there's thirty. 35 cars lined up behind us going. It, it was crazy. I can appreciate that. I, I'm from small town southeastern Iowa, and we had our point guard out at uh, uh, North Carolina Wilmington where I went, and he was from Wheelersburg. So, I, you know, that's not too far from uh, Georgetown, Ohio. And so I got through Wheelersburg just because he was there, and I kind of understand the small town type of uh, mentality. What were some of the things you did as a kid? I, I understand that you were a little bit uh, farming and doing some hay and, and working in the fields or doing some things like that. Is yeah. that the truth? Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to make money, you know, mm-hmm. in the country back then, as a teenager, you, you had to do farm work. So I grew up digging potatoes. Mm-hmm cutting tobacco, but before I could even cut tobacco, I used to have to drop sticks down quarter-mile rows of tobacco, hmm. um, you know, put, it, put in hay, which is real tough, yep. um, and strip tobacco in, the, in, the, in the, the winter, strip it so you can put it in the bales, all kind of good, you know, <laughs> it was hard work, yeah. but, you know, I looked to my left and my right, and there were my cousins, we were all doing it. So. Oh, cool. Well, you got to make a few bucks. You, you mentioned your coach. Would you consider then your coach? I know your mo- sounds like you sat down with your mom and she set you on the straight and narrow. Would you? Obviously, she's a mentor, so that's what I'm kind of going for. Who would you think was the biggest mentor you had growing up? Because we all need somebody to bring us to the next level. Uh, you know, I think my biggest mentor was my grandfather, mm-hmm. my mom's father. Mm-hmm. You know, it. it you know. My dad, he he was around, but he wasn't around. You know, he was, you know, had me when he was 17. He had to go to the military. Um, you know, was knew how to work machinery, but never could, you know, pass the, the apprenticeship to to be able to get the same pay that other people would make. So it was it was it was hard for him and frustrating. So he never took a lot of time out to do anything with me. But my grandfather was the one that you know would take me fishing. He would you know. Give me a little sayings. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, mm. and things like that. So I, it, it definitely was my grandfather. That's great. I, I, I uh, did you have siblings growing up? I'm curious. I did. I had a, a younger brother. Okay. And a younger sister. I was the oldest. Okay. Okay. And I uh, know now you have seven of your own. I have eight. Eight. <laughs> eight of your own. Yeah, I needed I to update eight. that. I've Congratulations got, with that. Six, I've got six boys and two girls. Wow. 
my uh, little fourteen-year-old daughter just started high school, so I'm freaking out. <laughs> In the market she for a shotgun, like her mom too. So I'm freaking. <laughs> oh, so I always like to ask this question, and and Alex always gives me a little crap about it. What, do you remember your first dunk? My first dunk? Yeah. I I can remember, yeah, when I was in the ninth grade. Okay. I dunked a tennis ball. That's, that's nice. the dunk that I really remember. But that summer before the senior, my senior year, I used to go down to this neighboring town called Ripley, Ohio. It was right on the river near Maysville, Kentucky. Okay. And so that's where you went on Sundays to go play ball. And I mean, it was really competitive ball. My first time out down there after I had, you know, sat out the season, I was running into a bunch of older kids that, you know, lived on the same street as my grandparents. So my the day I went out there, I mean, they roughed me up, threw me, you know, basically beat me up on the court. When I was done, I was, you know, my face was all bloody and I was all scratched up. And I turned to them and said, I'm going to tell my uncle. <laughs> you know? And they were like, no, get in the car. They put me in the car and took me on this drive and we went down by the river and they just gave me this speech, you know, you think, you think we like digging ditches? You think I like going to work every day? And I'm like, I don't know. He's like, well, you're the first person to come along who has an opportunity to maybe do something. You're going to throw it away over my brothers. I say this about my brothers. My brothers ain't nothing, you know. I mean, they was just going in on me. And they just basically wanted me to know that if I was going to come down there every summer, every Sunday, that I better be prepared for what they just gave me that day, and they don't care if I tell my uncle. Well, I mean, anybody that ever watched you in the NBA could tell that there was some sort of foundation like that because mm-hmm. you were, I mean, you, you were double-double machine. Absolutely. You know, you had the nice little 15-footer, so you did have, you know, the touch that's lacking in the NBA now, but, I mean, nobody wanted to see you on the block. So, I mean, I can understand where that came from now, which is to thank you for the little anecdote. Now, yeah, Xavier College, did you get any sort of run um, outside of Ohio, or were you not as big of a name until you made it to college? Yeah, I wasn't that big of a name until I made it to college. And when I made it to college, I wasn't that big of a name either. It was, uh, you know, I was the last person to receive a scholarship. Uh, Xavier, the only reason they came out and looked at our practice, what came out and watched me at practice was because there was someone in our town that called them eight times <laughs> trying to get in touch with somebody. And finally, Dino Gaudio, who was the assistant coach, called them back and they said, hey, man, you might want to come out here to Brown County and look at this kid, Brian Grant. And they were like, it's Division Four, you know, it's the lowest division. Now, you know, we don't we don't usually take kids from Division Four. He said, "Just come out here. I guarantee you won't be disappointed." So he shows up to the gym one day, and we're like, "Who is that?" And then Coach is like, "Okay, it's Dino Goddell from Xavier. He just wants to watch the practice." So we're out there going up and down. I'm just dunking everything every time <laughs> nice. I get. I'm going over people, just trying to show out in front of them, and I did. And he was he went over to my coach and said, uh, "Hey, does anybody else know about him?" My coach said, no, you're the first. He goes, well, then don't tell anybody. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> don't tell anybody. Give me time to talk to Pete. And that was the year that they beat the Hoyas, too, you know, in uh, wow. yeah. Indianapolis to go to the Sweet 16. Tyrone yeah. Hill and Derek Strong beat uh, Alonzo and Dikembe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Xavier was really, you know, kind of big time for us. So we lost our last uh, game, and Pete Gillen walks in the uh, locker room and goes, Sorry about your loss. Uh, we, we, we like your game. I have one scholarship left. It's either between you or a kid from Cincinnati. I said, I'm coming to Xavier. He goes, are you committing? I said, I'm committing. He goes, all right, well, you have the scholarship. And it was just like, wow, you know, all that stuff I went through, 
just all the fighting, all the negativity, all the things that I thought that people were bringing down on me, which I was bringing most of it down on myself, just kind of came to a head. And it was just like there was an opportunity there, and I took the chance, and now I get to go through that door and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're just a couple years younger than I am, so it's interesting to be able to go through the 80s you were discussing earlier. Uh, hasn't recruiting changed immensely? Think about what you just described to me and what they do now. You would be much better known now just because of social networking and the Internet. So it's, it's yeah, nice to be able to uh, corner that uh, uh, scholarship and get it done and get in there and then uh, do what you did, Xavier. And you had a nice career there, no doubt. And then we're right on to the NBA. So, you know, when did you know, even in college, you could be at the next level? Well, first I had to figure out that I could play at the college level because when I got there, I, I was this uh, team, third team in rebounding in state. And then we had Mr. Basketball of Ohio there. We had two Dapper Dans and one All-American. And then it was me. So I wasn't supposed to ever play. And somehow, you know, just practicing hard, running hard, one of the sophomores got in trouble and he couldn't start, and Pete said, I'm going to start Brian to see what happens. Man, I went out there and crushed that Polish team, man, like 20 points, nice. 19 boards or mm-hmm. something like that. It was it was crazy, and then I ended up starting all four years. And then going to the NBA, it was the same story. You know, I finished my senior year. We did okay. We went to NIT and got beat, I think, by Northwestern. Okay. And so I'm I'm putting my resume in at Procter & Gamble, Grippo, Bean, General Electric. <laughs> And my coach said, uh, there's some agents I want to talk to you. And he sent three agents in. It was Ryan Grinker, who's no longer alive, um, Bill Duffy, and Mark Bartlestein for Priority Sports. The other two guys told me if I played in the uh, combine camps, that there's a possibility I'd play myself out of a second-round opportunity or overseas. Mark came in and said, if you don't play in it, it would be the biggest mistake of your life. So. I uh, listened to Mark, and it, it, it just, man, it, it was a whole, there's a whole lot of hard work to it, but there's it, a lot of luck, too. Yeah. I got to tell you, I just was lucky to be in the right place at the right time and know the right people because I saw guys who were, and, man, I'm sure you can attest to this, uh, that we see people, and I felt like were way better than me, and why yeah. aren't they making it? Right. It could just be just because the coach don't like how you look or right. you're talking or whatever, and, you know, you're, that could be your opportunity gone. Yep, so it, it could was, be a favor uh, ode. It could be anything. You don't know, you know. You just make yeah, sure you put your nose yeah, to the grindstone and take care of your business, right you know. So, yeah, you, I know like you. And, and to be drafted out of UNC Wilmington like I was too, I, I, it wasn't easy. And I didn't have any aspirations to really, I didn't think, you know, I'd play at the next level. But next thing you know, you do the right things and by golly, she'll line itself up. I did it too. I did the pre-draft at the Portsmouth Invitational. I was just happy to be invited there. And then I turned my ankle pretty bad, but I had 18 rebounds in that game, so I didn't get to go to Orlando, but I went to Chicago and played well enough to, you know, get drafted myself. So you're, you're absolutely correct when you say it's all about luck. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's definitely some, a, a lot of luck that goes with it. I mean, you, yours was Portsmouth, Orlando. Mine was Portsmouth, yep. Phoenix, okay. then Chicago. Okay. Okay. So yeah, but I tell you what, you notice this too, Brant, uh, Brian, I know you do. The luckier or the harder you work, the luckier you get. Isn't that amazing? You know, I mean, I mean, you're not going to just walk in there and luck's going to hit you in the head right. without any work. It, you know, it's just, you know, you you put it all on the line and say to yourself, 
I did all I could do. Yeah, and then there's some other people that recognize it, pick up on it, and, and then another door opens. And then we got to decide if we're going to go through that door and through the next door. But for me, it was no question. Anytime opportunity came my way, I was on it because I was like, what, what else? Do, I don't have anything to lose. I'm going back home to Georgetown or to Cincinnati to work. You know, I might as well see how far I can take this. And that's how it was. And up until I went to that camp in Phoenix, I was a late second-rounder to overseas player. And then after that camp, I was drafted eighth, you know. Yeah, that's big. With a class of Grant Hill, mm-hmm. Glenn Robinson, Jay Kidd, mm-hmm. you know, Eddie Jones, Eric Mar- I mean, just a, just a ton of names, people I knew, but didn't nobody know me. It was, it was just, man. Boy, I guess my juice is flowing. Yeah, so <laughs> thinking uh, about that. So you get drafted by Sacramento. Did you know anything about Gary St. Jean back then? And he was your coach, right? In ninety four? He was ninety four. He's he's a great guy. I thought he was a good coach too. We just uh we didn't have the uh the uh the money that the Kings have these days to mm-hmm. participate. It was it, it was it, we had some rough road trips. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. So you go Sacramento uh, you play, what, a third of the season? You start a third of the season, the first season, something like that. And then when you go to Portland, that's when – was that the most fun time you played basketball when you were in Portland, when you, were re- when you guys were really good and you were the feared team in the West? It was, but it's, I was also still young. You know, I, don't, I was only going into my fourth season, and you just kind of think, well, you know, you get in a situation like this, it's always going to be like that. And you don't realize later – that man, when you got a team like this, you have to capitalize because you may never get this opportunity again. You know, we had such a free-spirited team; it was just crazy. Every day was something new. You know, it was me, Rasheed, Gary, Trent. Mm-hmm. You know, then you know Jimmy came in. There's J.R. Ryder, Jermaine O'Neal, Sabonis. Yep. Then you get Deadlift, Steve Smith, Pippen. And we got Mighty Mouse. He yeah. came in from yeah. uh, Toronto. Yeah. Damon Stoudemire, Damn man. Man. It was just, I mean, all these names I'm saying, he's just, we were all on the same team practicing. And it was crazy because, you know, me and she were playing a lot of minutes. And we knew that Jermaine was going to be an all-star in this league right. if he ever got the chance to play because he gave us the business every day. Every day. And he was super young, right? He was a baby-faced yeah, killer. Baby I mean, he got drafted when he was 17, played when he was 18, I think. Mm-hmm. And then he yeah. went to Indiana. Yeah, so that, I mean, that was, and I'm, I, okay, full disclosure, I, I grew up in L.A., and I was excited to see you come to L.A. with the Shaq trade and everything. We'll talk about that a little later maybe, but um, fearsome. I was fearing. My dad and I would sit and watch, and we feared the Trailblazers more than any other team in the NBA. And it was just, it was just grit, and it seemed to focus around your playing style. I mean, 6'9", so you're not 6'11", so you're, quote-unquote, I mean, on paper, a pseudo-undersized power forward, but you could stretch the defense, and that team itself, great defensive uh, skills played. You stretch the ball. Like, that was one of my favorite teams to watch in, in the history of my time watching basketball. So for what that's worth. But um, I, I tell you, yeah, that was, I mean, we had some battles down there. Some battles. Unforgettable battles. So then Miami, L.A., Phoenix, and then you retire. Okay, so let, let's jump to retirement. So <laughs> you, and because this, this is the main focus of Rebound Radio, is... The coming up, the actual playing itself is important, but it's it's not an afterthought, but it's not the focal point of the show. We like to get into after the shoes are off, the jerseys up, and then real life starts. What what was your first thought when you were like, 
I'm done playing basketball professionally. You know, I was in so much pain. Uh, my reaction was more or less like after we finished in Phoenix and my knee had gotten so arthritic it was starting to lock up. It was I was welcoming the end because I my rights actually got traded to Boston and they called me and just wanted to know if I could be like a player coach or something. And I just told them, man, I can barely walk. Oh yeah, so I couldn't come up there. Um, nothing really prepares you for it. I mean, you guys. I mean, nothing can really prepare you for retiring. You think you're going to be all right? You think you're going to fish and golf and go visit friends that you haven't hung out with or hang out with guys who are still playing? Nothing ever happens like that. It happens like that for about a year or two, and then you're tired of it, and then you're, like, trying to figure out who the hell you are again. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, the retiring part was it was good for me in the beginning just because I needed to heal. I needed to figure out what was going on, and all of a sudden I had this little skin trimmer in my wrist, and, you know, I am uh, you know can't really jump off my left leg that well either. I'm thinking, damn. I guess this is what happens when you're 36 and over the hill. No, <laughs> I'm thinking yeah. I'm over the hill at 36. Huh. So, um, you know, I got the family moved back to Miami. And then, like you said, real life starts, man. I, I, I go into this deep depression mm. for nine months, which put a major strain on my marriage. Mm-hmm. I put a major strain on my marriage throughout my career anyway. But that was just kind of like the it factor. And... Um, you know, once I got out of that, it was, you know, admitting that I was depressed was, was a very hard thing for me to do because I have to tell you, before I was depressed, I thought that people who got depressed were weak-minded and they just were being weak until real depression hit me. And I have the utmost sympathy for anyone who deals with depression because it's it's a disease. And when it's got a hold of you, it's hard. It doesn't want to let you go. Well, your story isn't any different from what I've heard over and over and over again, not only here on Rebound Radio, but all my years working with the NBRPA. And I did it, too. I went through, you know, some depression, and it is tough to pull yourself up and out of there. It's it's tough when the lights, you know, go out. Uh, you're like, am I done playing? Really? You know, like the first two, three years, maybe I'm not done playing. And then, you know, you realize that you are. You know, so it's just a matter of trying to uh, uh, rebound. And so that's really why we chose it, uh, you know, really looking to rebound uh, and, and get away and get away with it. So we got to take a quick break. Uh, Brian Grant, uh, we will hang tight. We'll be back in about two minutes. Uh, rebound Radio, Alex Clancy, Matt Fish in studio. We will be right back. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Do you love sports talk? Can't get enough sports talk? 
have we got a show for you. It's about the NFL training camps, Super Bowl previews, a look at the new starting quarterbacks, and weekly key injuries. We'll take your calls and emails right on the air. Former Philadelphia Eagle James Loving is your host, and you never know who'll drop by for a co-host spot or an interview on the spot. Tune in to Loving That Sports Talk with James Loving every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to Rebound Radio with Matt Fish. Call into the show today at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. You can also drop an email to mattfish at reboundmagazine.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Alex Clancy, Matt Fish in studio. We have Mr. Brian Grant on the line, the founder of Brian Grant's Foundation, uh, Grant Grant's Army. Uh, powering forward with Parkinson's. We will talk about that uh, in, in a few minutes. Go to briangrant.org, and you can check out all the information. We've gone through um, Brian's uh, upbringing to high school, to college, to NBA career, and now we are in the segment of his life, which is pretty much now. So he talked to us a little bit about going through depression, which um, the information that I've read and what, what Matt's, I've talked to Matt ad nauseum about this so I can kind of get a grasp on what it's like because, you know, I was a fan only and now over the past almost year now, I'm finally starting to understand and, and I'm understanding at a rapid pace what it's like for an athlete after they retire. So, Brian, you went through a little bit of downtime for about a year, which is not a little bit. Then, then what happened next? Do you pick yourself up? Like, what, what was the next thing when you're like, I don't want to feel like this anymore? Well, you know, I had to admit to myself that, okay, I'm, I might be depressed. You know, my wife was begging me to go see the doctor for months, and finally mm-hmm. after like nine months, I was like, okay, I'll go. I uh, went and was, you know, diagnosed with uh, clinical depression and they started me off on Zoloft mm. and you know over time things started getting better and uh, I could see that and then it was just like wow how come I couldn't have recognized that six seven months ago you know I probably could have saved you know my marriage a lot of damage I could have probably been a better father I could have probably been out there fishing or yeah. going to basketball games but no one really tells you how to deal with it, man. You just end up dealing with it the way you deal with anything. And at that time, I was used to kind of getting my way. And, um, you know, but it, was, it wasn't like that anymore. Yeah. And I had to realize that. Yeah, man, it, it's tough. And, and, and like I said uh, earlier in the show, they all kind of go through it in some way, shape, or form. And, and they don't, no one prepares you for it. I feel that you were even somewhat more prepared, but you're, you're sharing that you weren't because of all the wonderful things you did for your charity work while you were playing. I know you, you were involved with the Ronald McDonald House Charities. I know you teamed up with them in the late 90s. And, you know, you even served as the Oregon and Southwest Was- uh, Washington spokesperson for Ronald McDonald. Donald House Charities, and so, you know, you, you were involved in the community, making a difference during your career, and I commend you for that. Uh, that was even a time when it wasn't something that was cool to do, you know. I mean, that's kind of evolved over time, so, you know, you have a great big heart, and, uh, you know, thanks for, for everything that you do, giving back in the community. 
Um, what did you find yourself uh, most satisfying to you? And this is pre-Parkinson's. So what did you feel touched base with you uh, while you were playing in, and giving back into the community? You know, Matt, I always wanted to, uh, I never wanted to be that person that came into a city and just took, took, took. You know, I was so appreciative of where I was, I've been able to get to in life. Mm -hmm. And I know that that wouldn't have happened without the fans in the communities accepting us, you know, as NBA basketball players in their city. So I always wanted to give back because it wasn't that long ago when the church had to come to my house and bring Thanksgiving dinner mm -hmm. or bring some shoes or, you know, help out with the bills because, you know, someone got fired or something like that and we needed help. So I always remembered that, you know, there was never any shame in, in accepting it from accepting help when you needed help. But sometimes, you know, you, you kind of feel like you want to do it on your, your own and you get proud and things like that. But, um, I had great people in the communities that I played for that helped get me connected to the community. Because I tell you right now, and I hope there's a lot of players out there listening, but realize there are a lot of guys that want to do things in the community. It's just they don't have the right outlet to do the things they'd like to accomplish because if you're doing it through the team, which the team is doing tons of things in the community, yeah. they can help you do those things. But if you want to do something that's kind of outside of what the team is doing, you know, if that person can't help you, you need somebody who's from that community that really can. And I was always fortunate enough to run into that person, and they got me connected exactly where I wanted to be. Well, that's super handy. I mean, I myself personally was such a journeyman, you know, so many different places that I had a hard time even getting my, unpacking my suitcase. So, you know, to be able to be able to do, you did, it's just uh, fantastic to be able to give back like you have. And, and I just appreciate that. It means a lot to me. And, and that's really, um, you know, I just kind of want to again go back and say, well done. Um, not all of us. Uh, have that, but I, I'll tell you, as being president of the MBRPA, a nonprofit of one of eleven Phoenix you know, uh, chapters across the United States, that's what I'm constantly trying to do: is find what you know touches your heart, or what do you want to get behind, or what cause, or what you know, what is it, so we can make sure that there's that um, shared uh, desire to make that difference. And 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 obviously, as you found out um, in the middle of. 2000, around 2005, I believe it was in November, so about this time in 2005, that uh, weren't you diagnosed with an early onset of Parkinson's disease? Can you share a little about that with us? Yeah, there was a, there, there, there was a mix-up in the dates. At, at 2006, I retired, okay. and I started, you know, seeing, you know, a little bit of it manifesting itself in a skin tremor in my wrist. And then after... 2000, I think, 7, 2008, that's when the, I started having a hand tremor, and it wasn't until I came back to Portland in 2008, 2009 that I was actually diagnosed. But I knew something was going on. I didn't know what it was. And, you know, the word Parkinson's had come up a couple of times, but my neurologist in Miami said it could be so many other things. Don't worry yourself. You know, I, you know, we'll get you in and figure out if we can get an answer for you. And it wasn't until I came back to Portland that I got that answer, and it was that I was diagnosed with young onset Parkinson's. And, you know, anytime you're diagnosed with any kind of disease or something's wrong, it's never easy to, to get through it. But, you know, 
Parkinson's, it, it's, it's, it's a tough disease. It's something that just kind of is with you and kind of gets worse over time. Mm-hmm. For some people, it's, you know, very quickly manifests itself. And then other people like myself, I'm progressing relatively slow. And I, and I think I attribute that to being an athlete, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, man, there's always far worse things out there that, that could have happened. I could have got been diagnosed with something that, you know, was going to kill me in a couple of years and then, you know, had to deal with that. But I, I was fortunate enough to just be diagnosed with Parkinson's. So right away you dig your heels and you're like, look, I'm not going to, you know, just sit down and go through depression again, obviously. So you decided it's time to make a difference. What spurred you on then to go out and uh, make that difference? So kind of take us through the process. Once you learned and now you're like, look, I'm not the, I'm not going back through that again. So, you know, you've learned a lot once, you know, now let's, let's make sure we do it right the next time around. How'd that all, how'd that all take place? You know, it was was probably a few months after I was diagnosed, uh, you know, initially, I was going through so many other things. Uh, you know, my mar- my marriage was failing. I was still getting over not playing basketball anymore. You know, just gotten over the depression, and now I was being diagnosed with Parkinson's. So it was kind of like I was telling myself at first, like, what next, you know? <laughs> Let me just keep moving and, you know, figure out what's going to happen next. And then I ended up getting a phone call from Michael J. Fox, and that's really what turned it for me because cool. he didn't call me to say, oh, I-, I need you to do this, I need you to do that. He called me to say, how are you doing, man? How are you, how are you dealing with things? Hmm. This is how I kind of dealt with them, but we're all different. I just called you, wanted to call you just to let you know that you've got support. You know, there's, there's a ton of people out there that love you. Let them, let them support you, and you got the support of Michael J. Fox. I was like, wow. So after that, it was like I had to do something. You know, this guy was the, you know, the face of Parkinson. He and Muhammad Ali, and, you know, after that talk, I was just—I felt I had to do something. I wanted to be able to help out because, really, there, I didn't know what to do at that point. I didn't know the exercise and nutrition and all that made a difference. It was just—I was in the beginning stages, so we ended up throwing our first shake until we make it. And uh, he came out. Pat Riley, who was my coach, came out and gave a speech. Uh, you know, the Ali's were there. It was just a—it was a star-studded night, but it was like an introduction to the Portland community. And these are the people who are fighting. Let's let's back them up. And so we ended up cutting a check for three hundred fifty thousand dollars to the Michael J. Fox Foundation our nice. first year. So uh, you know, it was, it was a big accomplishment yeah. for us. So what's it like now for you day to day? And I want to transition this into the foundation. So tell me what it's like for you day to day, and what the tr- what your Brian Grant Foundation and the Grant's Army in regards to the foundation is like today. Well, when we first started, we didn't really know what we wanted to do, and then it was a website for information, but we didn't know what that information was. So it took us quite a few few years of, you know, kind of going through growing pains to kind of figure out what it was that we wanted to do, and we ultimately came up with we want to, we want to empower those afflicted with Parkinson's to live active and fulfilling lives today. And the way that we do that is through our programs we believe in exercise, mm-hmm. nutrition, and emotional support. Those three things are key, I think, that we think at the Brian Grant Foundation that can help somebody, especially people with young onset Parkinson's who still need to work, who still have small kids like I do. Um, we have a, a 
a power forward boot camp that we created, okay. which is like an hour to an hour and a half workout at the YMCA's within Portland. Uh, we have our power through project that we created for the World Parkinson's Congress that we unveiled at the Congress, and we are in a relationship with World Parkinson's Coalition with that. We have our wellness retreats, which, touch, which touches on uh, everything from nutrition, exercise, to, you know, thing, other things that may go wrong with having Parkinson's, like uh, not really feeling like having sex or, you know, it's anything. Parkinson's isn't just a tremor or right. a It affects a lot of different things in, in the body and in the mind. So we try to touch on those things and provide answers or at least provide avenues to places that, are, that can provide the answers. Well, you had to learn yourself, you know, more about the disease that you've been afflicted with, you know, to be able to share with others, educate, you know, really intelligently. So I'm sure that was the first thing. It's like, well, now I have it. Now what is it? What can I expect? You know, so I can share to others what they can expect, you know. So I, I imagine educating yourself on it was key. Yeah, it was definitely key, and, I, and, and I'm still continuing to educate myself. That's the thing about Parkinson's. There could be five of us diagnosed at the same time, and we'll all five have, we'll all five have different symptoms, mm-hmm. and there will be different ways of treating each symptom. So I may be able to take two of the medications that you take, but if you take the medication that I take, another one, it may cause you to have uh, impulse to you know, gamble or impulse to do whatever or make make one person hyped up and the other person falls asleep on it. I mean, the meds are so, they work so different, differently in different people that the most that I learn about having Parkinson's comes from other Parkinson's patients because the doctor can't sit there and tell you all these things that could be happening with you. You know, they just get down to the basics. You get all the nitty-gritty from other people who have the disease. Wow, I mean, this yeah. is this is powerful stuff, mm. man. I, I really appreciate you again. We I said this off air, but I really appreciate you being very candid with us because this is very personal stuff that you're giving us, and it's it's um, ringing true. And we will be sharing this to as many people as possible to kind of get the word out about Parkinson's and and the inner workings it, 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 with a personal account, let alone somebody that played in the NBA who has their own foundation. So now, what are you doing uh, work wise now? Uh, I just started doing. Um uh, I'm doing color commentating for the Blazers for 11 games with Brian Wheeler. And let me tell you something. I, I got a degree in communications. And my first three uh, times out, I'm telling you, I just feel like, man, that sucked. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. man, I'm, I'm horrible. I don't know what I'm doing here. It, it's, it's, tough. it's a lot tougher than you think. But, it, you know, what it does is it gets me out. It gets me to the game. It gets me to an opportunity to be around a lot of people that were around when I was playing. Sure. I get to, you know, see the fans. And that's the real payment right there is just being able to do something, man, you know, after being off for so long. You know, when I first retired, I wanted to do commentating, but I had this hand tremor, and I didn't know how to explain it. So for, like, two years, I was kind of ducking people, you know. I was like, yeah, I'll be down. I'll Sure, I'll come and try out and then go. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, you know, took, took it the wrong way until I was diagnosed was able to say, this is why I didn't come. This is why I didn't do it. But, um, you know, I do that, and then I work with the foundation closely. Katrina Call is my executive director, and, uh, you know, she's really 
moving us in the right direction. I really feel good about where we're going to be here in the next couple of years great. within the Parkinson's community. Well, great. I mean, it sounds like you, you had a slam dunk right out of the chutes uh, with the Alex P. Keaton, Michael J. Fox, $350,000, you know, uh, donation. So starting out uh, is right. I'm hoping he continues to help, you know, with, with uh, what you're doing and, and you, I'm sure, with him. Um, what, what's your goal? What's your overall goal? What's your end goal? I know it's a, a moving target, but how do you see, I mean, really, what's, do you consider a success with, with what you are accomplishing? The, the thing that I would love to see is when people get diagnosed with Parkinson's and they're asking questions, I would like to be among several awesome groups across this country um, be a part of a pamphlet or something that says, look, here's a list of all the foundations and what they do. These are three of the top ones. You know, check it out and see if you can, maybe you'll be able to find some answers there. That's, that's the end game for me is just making sure that everything that we do create, first of all, is helping people, yeah. first and foremost. And then secondly, able to get out there to the masses and not just, you know, Pacific Northwest, but all across the country and then eventually across the globe. I love that. That's a great, great goal, and I think you're you're well on your way, Brian. You, I tell you too, you, you don't think you're good at communications, but you're sitting right here and doing it better than anyone else. And so I think you're well suited for color commentation up there with the Portland Trailblazers. No worries I there. I appreciate that. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. Okay. So real quick, we have about five minutes, and I would be. And uh, let me go back for a second. Let me lighten the mood a little bit. The reason why I'm upset when Matt asks when these people dunked the first time is because <laughs> I've never dunked over a seven foot rim. So I think it's an unfair question with with the um you know with the, the the people around asking the question. That's number one. Number two, how good is Damian Lillard life? You don't have to go long winded. I just I I'm jealous that you get to see him play every day. Or have recently. Let me tell you something. He is, he is, he's legit. He is 100% legit. Uh, and he's still young. He's still coming up, too. I mean, he, there's really nothing that that guy can't accomplish. And he's got that attitude, too. You know, he's from Oakland. I know a lot of cats from Oakland, man. And um, he's, he's got that, he's got that chip on his shoulder that, you know, will get him through most games that other people will, will fail at. So he is, you know, he's a, he's a treat to watch, and you know we're lucky to have him here. Do you think um, it was a mistake when, when they were playing Golden State last year? And then we'll get off this topic. But I'm curious about your thoughts. Do you think that when they were playing Golden State last year and they had a lead at home, I think they were down three one, and they had a lead going into the fourth quarter. Terry Stotts pulls him for the first three minutes of the fourth quarter, and the lead evaporates. I think it was a 15-point lead. It went down to three. Does he have to play 40, 42 minutes a game for them to win 45 or 50 games this year? Yeah, first of all, with Terry Stotts, the job that he's done with that team, I, I, I never second-guess anything that he sure. does. He has he's been amazing. Doing it. And yeah, I mean, he, he took a team last year. I gotta be, I'll be the first one to admit, last year I was worried that you know, Damien's going to have to go through two years of losing and he's going to want to leave. And it wasn't until halfway through the season I looked down and said, damn, we're playing some good ball, and started really paying attention. So he, he's, you know, I never questioned his decision. But, you know, Dame is one of them players that you got to give him some rest, but you want him on the floor. I mean, I, I, as a fan, and you as a fan, you want him on the floor. So, yeah, I mean, because they're, they're always better when he is on the floor. But they, they've got some other guys coming up, too. 
Yeah, I mean, and CJ McCollum from Lehigh. So you have a four four year player from Lehigh, where, and a four year four year player from Weber State, and he's pretty much single handedly made them a top ten team that year. So you have maybe, and I would say the best backcourt. I mean, you could say Clay, Clay and Steph, I guess, but the best young backcourt in the NBA. You have um, Damian Lillard, who is what everybody thought John Wall was going to be, and he just never amounted to it. So you have yeah. maybe a steal from that draft at number five or whenever they took him. And you just need, if LaMarcus stayed, they could be a contender in the West. So they just need to get somebody down there instead of him. And then they could, they, could they could be perennial number two or three seats forever with a chance to win a championship. Yeah, I mean, this, this is a young team, too. Yeah. Uh, you, know, I, you know, L.A., I was glad. I was happy that, you know, he was able to go down to San Antonio, and especially late in his career. So, you know, compete for a championship. But I think this team needed to be the way it is to do what it's doing because these are all young guys, and you've got, like, Crab, who's been sitting around for three years, you know, waiting for that opportunity, and all of a sudden now he's getting it, and, and you know, we're reaping the dividends of it because he's, he's balling when he's on the court. They're still young. It's still early. You know, we had a tough loss against Golden State the other night and then one against Phoenix, but it's still early. I mean, it's too early to say, oh, they're not going to do anything or, or yes, they're going to do something. Just got to take it one game at a time, man. Brian Grant, thank you so much for joining us. Brian Grant uh, found it, is BrianGrant.org, correct? And you can check out yep. Grant's Army, all of the stuff they're doing with Parkinson's. Uh, hopefully we can have you on in the next month or so, get an update for everything you've been doing. Um, we really appreciate you taking the time, and thanks for. Uh, I'm glad we finally got this to work. No, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Thanks hey, a lot. Hey Brian, again, and, and I'm, let me just back up what Alex said. Thanks so much for coming on. And hey, you know what? Being president of the 501c3 nonprofit down here in Phoenix, let's get together and do something, man. You're doing some great things, and I don't see any reason why we can't bring some of the things that you're doing right down here in Phoenix and make a big, a big thing of it here in the valley. You played for the Suns. You know, you know what it's like down here. So you have to come down and visit, and we'll figure that out. So again, hey, Absolutely. thanks a lot, BG, man. Really appreciate it. Hey, do we have a chapter up here? Because, I mean, we've got plenty of retired players here, man. Great question, and I know they're working on one. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if they land that t- team up there in Seattle, too. So uh, uh, when that all goes down, I know they're working on more chapters in that area. Uh, we've got 11, uh, but none in the Northwest, and I'm making the push, and I will see what we can do about that, and I can definitely uh, get you more information about that because it, you, you can make a bigger difference at a grassroots approach, as you know, and so you have folks around there that want to help. Like you said, others want to make a difference, so you know you just tap into them, and, and, and they help you, and you help them, and you're helping the community. So absolutely, it's a good thing, and I appreciate the question, and I can get you more information on that. I appreciate it. Awesome. Uh, we got to get out of here. Guys, have a good one, man. Thank Thanks, you. BG. Thanks, Thanks Brian. Man. Really appreciate it, man. That was Brian Grant, BrianGrant.org. Check out all the information you need uh, with his foundation in regards to Parkinson's. Follow Matt Fish at, uh, at Rebound Talk on Twitter. Follow me at Clancy's Corner. Check out VoiceAmerica.tv to see some content that we, Matt and I, and uh, Jeff Bernard have done on video with former NBA players. For Matt Fish, I'm Alex Clancy, Rebound Radio. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in to Rebound Radio. Please join Matt Fish next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll profile another legend of basketball. Have a great week.